Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. Today's episode is sponsored by Poets and Writers, which is the absolutely essential go-to resource for creative writers. Founded in 1970, Poets and Writers is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. Visit pw.org to get inspired, connect with others, and explore a treasure trove of trustworthy information about writing contests, literary agents, and more. Hi, I'm here today with Amber Tamlin, who is an author, actress, and director. She has been nominated for an Emmy, a Golden Globe, and an Independent Spirit Award for her work in film and TV. She co-wrote and directed the critically acclaimed feature film, Painted Black. She's the author of three books of poetry, including the bestseller, Dark Sparkler, and the novel, Any Man. Her latest book is Era of Ignition, Coming of Age in a Time of Rage and Revolution. She's a contributing writer for the New York Times, a poet in residence at Amy Poehler's Smart Girls, and a founding member of Time's Up. She currently lives in New York with her husband, actor David Cross. Welcome, Amber. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about your latest book, Era of Ignition, Coming of Age in a Time of Rage and Revolution, which has like the best cover ever. <laughs> Thank I mean, you. It's so cool. It's like bright pink and red and black. And it's like, how can you not want to read it? Not that I should judge by the cover. <laughs> No, it's good. I feel like it's a very straightforward, direct cover. Simple, easy. Totally. So tell listeners, what is Era of Ignition about? And like, what made you write it right now? So Era of Ignition really looks at this sort of wild, chaotic world that we're living in right now, and especially in the United States, post Me Too and Time's Up in the last two years, sort of since that has happened. But also since Donald Trump has been elected and this sense of, We're not able to control what is happening, and there seems to be a lot of anger and a lot of protests and a lot of um, questioning about uh, supremacy and identity and all of the things that should matter to us as a country and as a culture, things like, you know, white white feminism, for instance, like which is a very triggering word for a lot of white women. Whereas in this book, I really offer that it's important to lean into that and to not be afraid to be uncomfortable. So my argument for the book is really looking at how we can harness our own fears and the chaos of this moment into something really productive and profound and powerful, and to not shy away from the fact that, especially women, we are in the center of a revolution right now. And to call it anything less really undermines us and what we're all trying to do collectively to have more representation and equality in the world we want to live in. The way, the passion with which you just explained 
the book, that tone is exactly like how I felt reading it. I was like, she is so into this. Like (laughs) you could, it like leaps off the page. Like you're, you're, you just feel so strongly about all of it. And it's so great. Yes. I mean, because then it engages the reader so much, right? Because yes. you just want to like hop on the bandwagon if you're not already on it. You know? <laughs> exactly. I also, I thought it was so interesting. You have so much of your own life in this book. This mm-hmm. isn't just some sort of manifesto or political treatise or whatever. This is like your story from postpartum, having this weird thing happen with your hands, which oh I felt God. so bad about too, yes. you know, how you ended up as sort of like the Forrest Gump of the Time's Up movement, how you're like in the midst of all, every room, you're like in every room and responding to every article. So if we could talk about some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. So I've, I've been acting, I'm 35 now. Oh God, am I 35? Yes, I'll be 35. No, I'll be 36 this year. I actually did a bunch of interviews for this book when it initially came out. And my publicist was like, no, Amber, you're actually a year older than what you've been saying. I'm like, wow, my child, I'm going to blame it on my child. My child made me lose an entire year of my life. That's how I feel. (laughs) I feel like I'm 12 years younger because my oldest kids are 12. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm in my four. No, no, no. no. I can't be. I can't be because I've only been paying attention to their birthdays. It's not my birthdays. Yeah, exactly. So, so you're 35 or 36, uh, give or take. 35 or 36. But I've been acting since I was, you know, 11 years old. I did many years on a soap opera when I was a kid on General Hospital and was in Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and did a lot of film and television. So I've had a lot of experience in this industry, in, in Hollywood. And I think growing up, you know, in that industry, I have had to deal with and see a lot of sexism and misogyny and an extreme lack of representation, both behind the camera and sometimes even in front of it, and certainly with the powers that be who are making decisions within Hollywood. And I think what happened in 2016, 2017, with you know that, that moment's Me Too movement sort of breaking the world wide open was that a lot of women were feeling very um, impacted, not just by, I think most people would say the election of Donald Trump might have impacted them and made them feel like they needed to do something. But I would also argue that I think Hillary Clinton losing in the face of what most would say is the village idiot was something that propelled women too, because at some point, all women have been that person. They have been the Hillary Clinton in the room who was, yes, flawed, incorrect at times, not perfect, but really fucking good at what she does for a living. Sorry, can I cuss? I can cuss. Go for it. Yeah. yeah. Really fucking, fucking good at what she does. You know, excellent at her job, totally prepared in many ways, and still lose to somebody who is not qualified. So, To me, a lot of what we saw in 2016 and 17 was a reaction towards that loss. For me, I certainly know that that had very much to do with my own experience. And I think around that time, I was just tired of being silent about a lot of the things I had seen in my business and certainly the way I had been treated and, you know, the works that I had done, either films I'd produced or directed or just anything that I had done being undervalued and underappreciated and finding that I only was ever really allowed to exist in one room. And that room was me as the actress in which I was interpreting other people's lines, basically being the object for other people's art. And it wasn't until that moment in which I think I and many, many other women in that powerful zeitgeist said enough and sort of propelled themselves with a lot of fear and with a lot of not knowing what that was going to mean or what the repercussions would be or how everything was going to land. It felt like we couldn't control not speaking up, not doing something about it. So this book really looks at a lot of that and, you know, 
like I said, the inception of Time's Up, but also sort of my journey throughout all of that pressed against the lens of, of the larger cultural shift that we've all been facing. And it's funny, not funny, that's the wrong word, but it was interesting how the movement today made you re-look at some of the abuse that has happened in your own past and this horrible relationship you had for many years and how actually now that we're just coming up with words to sort of name some of this stuff, you could say like, okay, I actually had like a sexually abusive relationship and now I can focus and deal with it in this way. And it's sort of impact, I don't know, just must feel, how does it feel to be able to go back and sort of put it in a bucket or know how to process it or talk to people who've had the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I think that's where the anger comes from. Mm. And not just for me, but for pretty much every woman that I know, no matter what that is, as far as realizing that for decades, for our lifetimes, for our mother's lifetimes, for our grandmother's lifetimes, and all the way back, we have not had the honor or grace or allowance to be able to name the things that have been done to us. And if we have, if we speak up, if we use our voice, uh, we're ridiculed, our stories are, the narratives are changed about our stories, we're told it's not true, all of those things. There have been consequences which have aimed to force us back into a space of silence in a certain way. And I know, you know, I know for me that that was, that there was a that there was a lot of that that was going on from a very early age in many different ways and it was so important for me to speak about things like abusive relationships and to realize as i had not before that some of the things that had happened to me were actually could be defined as you know sexual assault and it's it is very sad that you can be a woman of any age and have something happen to you whether it's rape or whether it's sexual harassment or anything in between, and you are taught, you are conditioned to name it as something else that is not as harmful as it actually was. And women have had to walk around existing like that forever. And nothing is fixed. Nothing has been completely righted with the Me Too movement, obviously. There's still like a long way to go. But I know for me, it was very powerful to have to come to terms and come to grips with my own language and the language that I use for what my experiences are and to understand that it's important to name the thing, to name the offense as it is, even if that, you know, puts you at jeopardy in a certain way or is uncomfortable or complicated for the person that's done it. Obviously, don't do it if it affects your livelihood, but I think it's important for you, for yourself, to know the ownership of that language. And you talked about in the book how you, I mean, and which I read in the New York Times, is that you came out publicly and said, like, I, you know, this is it for me. Like, I, you yeah. talked about all your views about James Woods and his actions, and that's a big deal to come, I mean— Putting it all out there in the New York Times, like you have to like stand by and be so really brave in a way. I mean, you have to just say like, I don't know. It takes guts. <laughs> I mean, it's impressive. It's. I think what was you know again, and this has to do with that propulsion, right? Which is the ignition that I talk about in the book. This this thing that is ignited in you, which you know, fire we can't really control when something is burning. And is this why your opening scene was you lighting a candle? That, like the whole, <laughs> kind, you do that on kind of, yeah. and then kind of blowing it out. Because I felt out, like yeah. my, my life was like a candle that was like w- super dwindled. Yeah, that was a great image, by the way. Yeah, yeah anyway. and it was real. I didn't even have to use it for the effect of that book. It oh, was just no. a true moment that happened. But there is this thing that has been propelling us that we sometimes can't even control, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, you know, 
Why did Rose McGowan feel propelled? Why was it a matter of her survival to speak out against Harvey Weinstein, to initially be one of those women, Mm -hmm. any of them, any of the women that spoke out in the New York Times? Why? What was the reason now? And that is the thing that I hope this book puts a finger on, the, the moment and where the rage comes from, but not just not just what the rage is, but what we are doing with it, how we are changing the world with it. And for me in that moment, there was not a choice to write the piece in the New York Times. It was a, for listeners, it was an op-ed called I'm Done With Not Being Believed. Sorry, I had it right here, sorry. It's called, it's called I'm Done With Not Being Believed from 2017. <laughs> about when she was 21 and went to talk to her show's producer about problematic behavior and ended up taking a stand against James Woods. I read it. Okay, yes. there we go. Okay. <laughs> yes, and the James Woods thing was like a separate experience when I was younger of him trying to pick me up at a diner in Los Angeles to which he said he there was no way he did that and called me a liar, which... You know, that was really the moment of being called a liar that felt like so personal, but so normal. Mm-hmm. felt so normal to be called a liar for telling that story as if that's a joy for me to go out on a limb and put my entire, you know, career and reputation on the line to make up some random story about this guy that I could care less about. So I felt propelled in that moment to speak a truth. And then Rose felt propelled in that moment to speak a truth. And there were all of these women in different industries who were feeling propelled, who were feeling that being sort of ignited. And to me, the most important thing is that everybody started to speak together and started to know that it was okay, that there was going to be repercussions, but that it was now or never in the moment. And that it was kind of this uncontrollable urge to speak the truth, which we really haven't had, especially as women, for a very long time. I like how it was told in such a narrative way. Like you were there. It's almost like in 30 years, we can look back and see like where this revolution sort of began, right? And you're like, and then I drove across LA and then I went to this person's house and then I'm obviously in a much more literary (laughs) Yes, it's very very in-depth, like very in-depth and detailed, I think too about, which I think is an important part of the piece of I hope women and men too, honestly, I hope they read the book and think about ways, you know, when you're angry and you're frustrated, how do you get together with other women who are angry and frustrated and create something out of that? How do you create a movement or a group? Because, you know, you and I sitting right here doing this podcast, you know, we could start a movement right now. If you and I were pissed about something, yeah, let's do it. I could figure out something great that you have to contribute and I have something great to contribute and together we would do that. And that is literally how Time's Up was formed, was a bunch of women who got in a room and they decided to change things. So cool. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I mean, better than like talking about what you're going to wear to the Golden Globes, I mean, all I, that, which is also fun. Yes, I'm, make, I'm making it sound like a no, lot I, easier no, than I'm it kidding. was. I know it was, you, you know, know what I mean, with a the million hurdles. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> I obviously know that. Yeah. You wrote, there's a quote in the book about your childhood acting career. You said, when you've spent your whole life pretending to be other people for a living, it is sometimes hard to know what you're capable of becoming or what you will want once you've stopped. So that's such a unique perspective to grow up pretending to be somebody else. And I feel like many people grow up not knowing really who they are, but they're not literally pretending to be other people. How do you think that's affected your life now? I don't know. It's a That's a really good question. I dapple a little bit in the book and talk a little bit about how interested I would be if somebody ever did a, a study on the effects of 
people who were child actors, again, and of any gender, mm-hmm. who grew up as actors, what effect that took on their central nervous system. Because I do think that it, there is some large effect that we won't know what that is. But when you are constantly telling your central nervous system and your body that it is, you know, in f- fight or flight mode, that it is being murdered, it is being raped, it is overdosing, like all of these things you do as an actor, while they're fake in your mind, your body is not faking it. Mm -hmm. So it's a very interesting thing. And I don't know other than to say, I feel like in a certain way, I have lied to myself for a very long time. And I've had to reason with some of that. And I still, I still love acting and I'm doing a show for FX, but but it's, I think I have kind of a bit of a disassociation with it now because I understand more of that. And so my healing work has had to be a little bit more encompassing than I think it was initially supposed to be. I think in just understanding what that is. Okay, we can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life 360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose a 100 times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and It makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident, and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life360. Visit life360.com. Or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. And what do you do to take care of yourself now? Well, there's a term that I love to use, which I describe for, which could also be applied for, you know, the experience of women coming together to create Time's Up, which is that women are angernized, which means they are angry and organized. Um, And so for me, I think taking care of myself is a combination of many things, which includes allowing myself to actually feel those emotions and to process them and put them into action instead of just swallowing them and being angry. But it also means taking real care of not only my physical self, but I think my spiritual self, which is something I have felt very othered from for a long time. The sense of taking care of my psyche and, you know, my brain and the other parts of me that aren't as nourished. So Meditation is a really big, important factor in my life. Again, I try to get as much rest as I can when I can. Sleep is always great. Water is always great. But also, I think to be able to speak to people about what's going on in your life, which is the action part of that. 
I'm a big, huge proponent of therapy. I've gone every single week since I was very young. And I think we should all have somebody that we pay (laughs) any dollar amount. It could just be $1 to be able to listen to us in some capacity. And I know that that's like a very privileged thing to be able to have because not everyone can afford therapy, but there are many different ways in which that can be manifested in someone's life. Isn't that what Charlie Brown did with Lucy? Yes. She set up that stand. It totally right? is. I mean, yes. they, they had it right. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. I know, just, Star you know. <laughs> stations and <laughs> pop-ups. And exactly. <laughs> you also do a lot of writing, yeah. not just this book, but you've written lots of poetry, mm-hmm. three books of poetry. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you just write on your own for fun. I don't know, I'm, I shouldn't assume. No, let me ask this again. <laughs> so Amber, <laughs> do you like to write? Does writing help you sort through your emotions? Do you like to write when you're not on deadline or writing a book for publication or... I, no, I do not at all. My two writing mentors, the first one is Jack Hirschman, who was the former poet laureate of San Francisco. Phenomenal, extraordinary poet. And the other was Wanda Coleman, the late poet out of Los Angeles. Also like an extraordinary writer. Please get all of her books. They're on Black Sparrow Press. They are the most important pieces of literary work, especially out of the 90s, especially by a black woman poet. But just get all her books. She was amazing. But they had two very different schools of thought about writing. And they both taught those thoughts to me. And the first was Jack, who really was like, if you're going to be a writer, you should write every day. You know, it's a discipline. And that never really worked for me. That was really difficult. And when I was a lot younger writing poetry in my teens— I was listening to him because he was a mentor in a lot of ways, but it also just didn't really work for me. It was it was tough. But Wanda gave me the best advice ever, which was to let the muse rest. That's what she would always say. So she didn't believe that there was anything real about writer's block, that there's no such thing as writer's block, that you have to let the muse rest. And when you're not writing or when you can't think of something to write, that's because she's sleeping and you have to let her sleep. You wouldn't want to be woken up in the middle of the night to like get up and write. And you have to think of your creative subconscious as that, as something that is healing and absorbing. And that is very much how I write and how I manifest my writing. I'm a big daydreamer. Often my husband will get really mad at me because he told me something four times. And I am like, I did not remember that at all, but I was just thinking about a colony that lived on the moon of half wolf, half women. Like, you know, it'll just be something that I have been daydreaming about. And usually that daydreaming will lead to an idea. And then that idea I will become very obsessed with and very stubborn about. I'm a triple Taurus, so I get very stubborn about things. How do you become a triple Taurus? <laughs> my rising sign, my moon, my everything is in Taurus. Oh. I'm just a big old Taurus. Big Taurus. Big okay. old Taurus. Okay. But once I become really obsessed with an idea, I lean very heavily into it, and I stick with it and sort of see it all the way through. So for me, the writing process was always about not so much the writing, but the manifesting and the daydreaming in between. Mm. And I'll spend days and hours just doing that and sort of collecting information in my brain, whether that's collecting ideas for poems or you know, narrative stories or fiction, whatever that may be. And even writing movies, like you turned this, adapted this movie. Yeah, I actually adapted. Painted Black. Yeah, by Janet Fitch. Uh, It was a a phenomenal book by Janet Fitch, who wrote White Oleander, and her book after that was Painted Black. And I adapted it for the screen, and I believe it's on Netflix. So you can see it there. Very exciting. And you were talking before we started this about a trick you have for reading 
poetry and how you know. Oh, well, also for organizing books. Yes. Come back to that. But also for when you start reading poetry, how you can tell whether or not you're going to like it pretty easily. What, what's the trick? And can I do this with books without reading the whole book? Oh, God. I don't know because, you know, the beauty of poetry is that a writer can say in one powerful punch of a line, one single sentence, what a different author has to take an entire chapter to say. And they're both beautiful, but they're both different. And to me, I like the compactness of poetry. I like that, you know, an author can, a good poet to me will always open a poem with an undeniable line, a line that doesn't have to be connected to the second line below it, or even to a stanza. But then in one line, it will make you feel or understand something that you had not seen put into words before. So something as simple as, he broke my heart. What are all the different ways you could say that? All the different metaphors and similes to talk about what it, to talk about hearts, to talk about the brokenness of them, to talk about the person or the thing or the place or the smell or the time or the you know planet that did that to you. That is the ingenious effort of poetry to me is that you can really affect somebody and that that the line or a poem will sneak up on you. It'll take a second for it to get there, and then once it does, it has taken your breath away. So amazing, the power of words, right, mm-hmm. to make us feel all these things. Yes. That's why it's like each book, you never know, like what's I know. inside. You I just, know, it's the best. Right? It's a it helps surprise. You, like, make sense of your own thoughts and feelings yeah. and world. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a big fan of books, <laughs> as I know you are. Yes. And so you have a million books, too. And you I said have you so stack many. them everywhere. What is what is your organizational yeah. trick? I, obviously, Amber saw my completely messy office piles of books here. I think she's trying to give me a hint. No, 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 no. I'm obsessed, and you should all know she has a beautiful library here, and I'm looking at all the books. It's just a gorgeous library in her home. But for me, I well, like probably like you, I get sent a lot of books because I also review and have a lot of wonderful relationships with editors and things like that. But I get sent piles and piles of books. So for me, I, I was trying to think of a way because I don't have— my shelves are done for. Like, I can't put any more books on them. But I also do love stacking books up on floors. It's a thing that I love. I love to be able to go to any given pile and be like, ooh, I remember this book was sent to me a few months ago. I'm going to pull this book out. But I kept thinking about, like, a way to pile them so that I knew what the hell those piles were. So I went on Etsy, and I went to somebody who does those, like, you know, rock garden rocks that say like love and health and wealth and you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, they yeah. Have the, yeah. Like and I asked her to put different words on them. And one says unread, one says urgent, one says adieu, as in goodbye, one says pending. I have like a bunch of different words and I put these heavy rocks on top of the piles. And that way, like when you're walking by them, you can just look down and see what piles they are, but also it's harder to knock them over. And it's also just less tacky than a, you know, stick it, a, yeah, post, I used to a post-it. Have post-it. I used to have post-its all over. It's just like a nice way to, to say like, this is the unread pile. This is the urgent pile. So it's, it's a small thing, but I do find that that is a way to, especially if you are reviewing or like if there were books you were considering for your podcast that you thought would be great for that, you could have its own pile with a rock that's... I need these rocks. Yeah, it's so, so good. How are we going to find this? Is this Etsy lady going to make them in scale? Literally, all in you scale? have to do is just search like, you know, Personalized rocks. Yeah, garden, 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 personalized garden rocks or personalized something like garden that. rocks. I yeah. would never in a million As- years. Aspirational personalized garden rocks. I'm sure. Wow, I have and not then- googled that before. 
<laughs> I have to say, oh, but if, now I will. If only you could see my my Google history. <laughs> Did you see somewhere recently that someone put that, and I feel like it was in one of the newspapers, one whole page of a newspaper was just the things that people had Googled that whole year? That's hilarious. Yeah, it was a really cool, I think it was like in the New York Times Review, over, oh, I'm probably not saying this right, but that's it was something in the last two weeks where it was a whole page. Oh, of, I bet it was all I, over the place. Yeah, it yeah. was all over. The, I, I couldn't even after a while, but um, <laughs> so what's coming next for you? Are you going to write another book? Are you going to, you have an FX show? What's that about? Like what, what's your, what's your story? Oh man, there's so much going on. Well, right now I just, this, since after this book comes out, which I'm going to go do a little mini tour for it. If you want to find out any of that information, you can go to amtam.com. That's my website. But after that, I think I'm going to do this show for FX called Why the Last Man. I'm co-starring opposite Diane Lane, and it's based on the DC graphic novel of the same name, Why the Last Man, about a post-apocalyptic world in which there is a defect in the Y genome, and all of a sudden, all men drop dead at the same time, hmm. and women are left to run the world. But that is not necessarily a great thing. It can, you this know. It's a fantasy show. Yes, but it's also a little, you know, Lord of the Flies. Okay. Because things are not that simple, you know. So I'm so excited to do that, and I get to play a character unlike anything I've played before. But, you know, after that, and as far as the writing, I'm hoping to direct another feature this year. There's a couple things in the works for that. And, and I'm circulating a couple different book ideas, and I'm strongly feeling pulled to return to poetry in a certain way. So maybe that and something else, maybe a new novel. That's exciting. Yeah. And how do you, and you have a, a little girl? Yes. I have She's a three-year-old. Three-year-old. I have to tell everyone that Zibby was very sweet and let me be very, very late today because of my daughter. So. Oh my gosh, of course. I appreciate it. I understand. Oh my God. I mean, that is my life. It's like nothing is predictable. It's like yeah. every yeah. day is. Different. Different. And Especially wild. when the teachers are like, I mean, no offense to the teachers, but it's like once you get like school-age kids yeah. too, it's like. They don't really, like, I have other stuff I have planned. Yeah. What do you mean now I'm coming in? I have, a, yeah. I have somebody great coming to talk to me. Anyway. I know. Anyway, that sounds very selfish. Yeah, I'll do anything for my kids. I don't miss anything. <laughs> but I'm just saying some, like. I love my kids. I never hate them. I'm perfect. I have no mom guilt. <laughs> yeah. I'm great. I'm so skinny. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so you Sorry, have a, too real. Too no, real. no, not at all. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Does she get into your work? Is she old enough? Not really, right? Like three, like She's, does she sort of get a, the vibe of what you're doing? And She does. And she does love to come in and go through my books. I try to keep my door, my office door locked, never to keep her out, but mostly because she's very into my garden rocks. So <laughs> sometimes piles will get confused. So uh, you got to be careful with that with your kids, I would say. But she is, I, I mean, I try to explain to her like, mommy wrote this book when she, when especially like when a new box, which is the best feeling ever as an author when your book comes in is like there's just nothing better like the finished product and she'll take them out but she'll normally just sort of flip through them and and then point to the back and say mommy you know she'll say the mommy's on there and she sees the photo which is really cool but Aww. yeah I'm, I can't wait until she can see me you know in some acting stuff that'll be pretty interesting would you knowing what you know about your whole life and how it's developed would you ever would you the answer is no okay <laughs> I couldn't even get it out. <laughs> Obviously, if she wants to act, I'll be okay with it. But it's not something I think that any parent should let their kid do, you know, without a lot of consideration. It's a tough industry. Really, really tough. And tougher than you think on kids who are, their entire purpose in life at that age is to please their parents and make sure their parents are happy. 
because that brings joy into their lives. So it's hard to know what a kid really wants and doesn't want. And, you know, I would say that the business has gotten so much better, certainly not just from my age, but my father, who was Russ Tamblin, who's not was, he's still alive, in West Side Story and all these old great movies. But his experience, you know, with the Judy Garlands in that era was much, much different than it is now. But still, I think you just need to have a lot of consideration. It can't just be like, my daughter's really great in school plays. I should get her into acting. I think you need to have a real serious thought about the psychological ramifications, most especially if you have a girl. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm glad you said that because my daughters are always asking as many, <laughs> and not to say it's only girls, but as many kids like to do. Yes, and it's even, fine. Even like YouTube, I'm like, you know what? It's okay. You don't need to be out no, there. No, anyway. don't. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I think my advice for aspiring authors would be to really try to hone in on your, not just your craft, but what your individual voice is, what it has to say, and what it has to offer. I think I became my strongest and best writing self when I did that. So when I was trying to figure out who I was, who I wanted to be, but especially in like these last five years, it just came in with a wild force. And I became the author that I had always wanted to be. And sometimes that takes time. So I think part of that advice would be to be patient with yourself And to know that rejection is inevitable, lots of rejection, but to, if you really believe that that is the right creative career and choice for for you, to stick with it and to work as hard as you can to figure out what the individual unique thing is you have to say and say it in a unique and individual way that is true to you. Piece of cake. (laughs) You know, easy, easy stuff. Easy, easy. Just like two decades of torture for yourself. No big deal. Enjoy. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and for sharing all of your thoughts and beautiful writing and your whole experience. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks so much. Today's episode has been sponsored by Poets and Writers. Visit pw.org to get inspired, connect with other writers, and explore a treasure trove of information about writing contests, literary agents, and more. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.